0: Welcome back. It's time for Customers Who Click, the e-commerce podcast for brands looking for their next growth opportunities. If you're interested in improving your conversion rates, average order values, and customer lifetime value, head over to CustomersWhoClick.com where you can find all our previous episodes and get in touch if you'd like to learn more. Right now, there's a burning question on every brand owner's mind, and today we're addressing it head on. We're diving into the intricate roadmap of scaling brands, the strategies, pitfalls, and nuances of transitioning from six to sub. Seven to eight, and then ultimately reaching the lofty heights of eight to nine figures. To guide us on this journey, I'm thrilled to introduce two titans of the industry, Blake Pinsker and Tori Rowe, representing Dream Labs, where they've overseen monumental growth trajectories for the brands they work with. Let's roll up the carpet for them and get started. Hi, guys. Thanks for joining me today. Do you mind introducing yourselves? Give us a bit of your background and how you've got to where you are today.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, my name is Blake Pinsker, and I am the founder. Of Dream Labs. My background spans in e commerce starting back in 2013. I was <laughs> an early e commerce marketer, I guess you could say. I started working as the first employee for a company called Movement, which went on to become one of the fastest growing e commerce brands of that time. We were early adopters to Shopify, Facebook ads the full gambit. And we scaled from ground floor bootstrap company to ultimate $100 million exit in 2018 on the back of selling watches and fashion accessories. So through that process, I was fortunate enough to really get my hands on almost every aspect of the business. I got to learn ins and outs. I got to spend million dollar annual marketing budgets on Everything from Facebook ads to influencer to TV. So I really learned during that time, you know, what one what digital marketing was all about, what worked and what did it. And then once we sold the company in 2018, I wanted to then take what I had learned there and rinse and repeat for other brands. So I started Dream Labs, where we do mainly performance marketing for brands, Facebook, Meta, Instagram, TikTok, paid social, and then also creative production for all those platforms. Okay, cool. Tori, do you want to...
2: Yes, sir. Thanks for having us. Yeah, my name is Tori Rowe. I'm the head of acquisition over at Dream Labs. Yeah, my background's a little different. I came out of being a police officer for almost five years in 2017 and started a men's premium jewelry company called Mansion with my best friend for us. So during that time, we needed someone to run paid media and we couldn't afford to pay someone else at the time after I just left my job and everything like that. So I decided to jump back in and go back to school on YouTube and started learning how to do paid media. No better way than, you know, attaching your credit card to the ads manager <laughs> and seeing the dollars leave your own bank account. Along that way, I ended up meeting Blake, as he was the uh, talk around town of creative agencies and things like that of, you know, who to get the best creative from and obviously his success over a movement with the 100 million dollar acquisition kind of told us what what we needed to know that the guy knew what he was doing. So Along that way, met up with Blake. We ended up teaming up and figuring out that, you know, he's really good at creative. I ended up taking on some clients along the way with Mansion and figuring out I kind of had a knack for paid media. Ended up doing pretty well. I have probably spent about half a billion on Meta. And, yeah. So quite a few dollars to learn from and now we're here. Sweet. Yeah. I think uh, like learning to do it yourself
0: is really important, even if you don't really need to. I think there's still definitely some benefit in understanding the channels, like how they actually work, what the different traffic, like how the different traffic performs and stuff. I've actually got a client at the moment who that's what they're doing with all their agencies. So basically paid each agency to teach them like quite top level stuff on 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 all our specialties, just so that they can make sure they've got an understanding of how it works. They're not trying to in-house it. They don't want to do it themselves. They just want to know that you know, when we're making some changes to their website, they really understand like where that's come from and why we're doing it.
2: Yeah. I think it's so important as a brand owner to understand just a little bit about everything. So you can also understand when things aren't going right or, you know, making sure you're also not getting screwed over by agencies and things like that on all aspects, logistics, paid media, creative side, website, everything from top to bottom, you have to have a basic understanding. It's like a football coach. They might be a special like a defensive specialist or anything like that, you know, Bill Belichick, but he still understands the offense. He still has to have some basic knowledge to there, but he's still going to, he's going to go find his ex. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So I think the kind of key topic for today was like,
0: how do you scale, how do you scale an e-commerce brand all the way up to like nine figures? And I think, you know, it's something I've discussed with someone before, actually when we were talking about tech stacks and how to structure tech stacks, there are the different brackets, right? So it, you know, certain times you want certain tools in place, then you'll add some more, then you'll upgrade some more enterprise level stuff. So I think, you know, first to begin with, we'll look at, you know, how do you scale from like a six figure business? One that's probably got, you know, product market fit doing pretty well. How do you get
1: into those seven figures? Yeah, I'll take that. And I've been thinking about this too, because I think this is one of the things our agency talks about, whether you're just launching or, You're a seven-figure brand. You want to get to eight or eight and you want to get to nine. Our job is to take you there. So I actually think the six-figure range that's not success yet. (laughs) I don't think you've had any sort of proof of concept at that point. Not that it's easy, but I certainly think going from six to seven is proof of concept stage. And I suggest everyone at that stage to, to figure out whether you have proof of concept or product market fit at that stage. You need to reverse engineer what other people in the space are already doing and what other people and leaders in the D2C space are doing and how they got there. Try to follow that playbook. So, so on, on that, you know, how far above you do you look? Well, I, I think, think sort you of, you know, first you're doing stories kind um, of, all over the map that even if a company is a $50 million company now, you could try to go back, and research what they were doing at an early stage. Whether it's listening to the founder okay. interview, talk about it, whether it's scrolling back a few years on their Twitter and trying to find as much information as you can, or getting on a call with them, trying to figure out, you know, there's thousands of merchants, get on a call with a few of them and see what patterns you could pick up on how they got from six to seven. What channels were they, what channels were they using? Who were the first people they hired? What are their biggest learning lessons? Right, where, where, they, where should they invest most of their money? These are the questions you want to ask. I'll tell you straight up. If you're not able to get to six to seven on meta, on the back of meta, you probably don't have product market fit. <laughs> and that's how typically everyone is doing at DTC. Six to seven is, there, there's rare occurrences where someone will do it through like influencer posting or something like that. If it's a certain type of celebrity brand or something. The majority of brands are getting from six to seven and seven to eight on the back of Meta, And so that's where I would start. I would try to learn the ins and outs of it like Tori did with his brand. He figured out how to be the best media buyer on the map, right? And he religiously yeah. studied it until he understood it so well to where w- even when we were running media for his brand, he said, well, I said. You know more than our media buyers. <laughs> Come work for us. <laughs> um, and that's what you have to do at that early stage. You have to learn how to get to six to seven. And if, if you can't get there after trying to invest in Meta, uh, I would definitely take a good hard look at product market fit and see what's what the issue is there. Because it's yeah. not the platform. It's likely something wrong with the product or price point. Yeah. And
0: so... Apart from the like the product itself, potentially, what are some of the key mistakes you see with brands who are in that six-figure, like you know, yeah. maybe mid-six-figure range, who want to get to a million yeah. plus, want to get to that seven figures, but
1: you know, it's yeah, maybe their growth is stalled and they're kind of stuck in there. Yeah, I have a few in mind, but I'll let Tori go because I know he's got an opinion on this. Yeah, you're good.
2: Yeah, I look at things. Is like data, like I'm a data driven guy, obviously being on the back of meta and things like that. So I think most people make the mistakes of just either lack of knowledge of where things are falling apart for them. So Mm -hmm. or like, and so kind of what I'll kind of dissect that first. So, So what I mean by that is like you have, obviously, we know the golden rule sessions times AOV times conversion rate or sessions times conversion rate times AOV. That's where you get your orders. If you're sitting there at six figures like a month or whatever, $100,000 a month or whatever it may be, or a, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, it's, you have to look at like, okay, we're doing 50 orders a day. How do we get to 75 orders a day? It's that simple thing will take you to the seven figures. It doesn't have to be this massive leap. And so it could be something as simple as like, how can we drive our average order value up $10? and saying like and just dissecting things and running the math equation how can we double our sessions every day how can we you know get our conversion rate up by 0.2% cuz if we get it up by 0.2% we have the same sessions we had last year then guess what we just hit seven our first seven figure year so it's i like to dissect things And then obviously, once you find that part in the formula, AOB, conversion rate, or sessions, then you can kind of go further in. Like, okay, so conversion rate needs to go up by 0.2%. What do we need to optimize? Let's look at the PDPs. Let's look at the homepage. Let's look at you know price points, a great one, all those types of things. And you start A-B testing and testing throughout the things. I feel like a lot of people do get stuck just saying... Hey, we like a lot of people put it on marketing too. Like, hey, you know what? The marketing team's not good enough. We need to do this, chatter, instead of looking at the metrics and actually diagnosing it. I think, yeah,
0: something I see a lot is there's almost like no willingness to look at the website, the product page. It's almost like that's perfect. If they're not making enough money, if they're not getting the return on ad spend that they want, it's your guys' fault, right? You're obviously not doing your
1: job properly. Real, um, real quick on that big mistake a lot of people make is they come to market and they think they could just price something cheaper. And the issue with that is you're not doing huge volumes at an early stage. So your margins are less than competition. And D2C is all about a bidding game. How can I acquire customers cheaper and faster than anyone else, right? And so the big problem is if your product is not superior in a way to charge more or have enough margin to go acquire customers you're always going to lose in that bidding war. And so I think that's an important thing is making sure you have healthy margins and the AOV is high enough for you to go spend to acquire customers. Otherwise, you might have to raise a ton of money to get yourself out of that hole. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Just on the topic of that session, conversion rate
0: AOV, obviously our big focus is conversion rate and AOV. But even on the conversion side, we will break that down into so many little touch points. You know, even just one layer down it's well how do we get more people to view a product how do we get more people to add a product to cart and then start the checkout and then complete checkout and then later down the line it's okay we know that if people click on the image gallery they are more likely to add to cart and then convert so a test will purely be how do we get more people to click on the image gallery and interact with those images and then make those more valuable so yeah it's i think a lot of people get a bit overwhelmed with You know, well, how do we move from 500,000 to a million? Right. We want to double our business, or, you know, we need to double our conversion rate. And it sounds like such a big challenge. But actually, when you break it down into just two or three little goals that are much easier to move, you can
2: get there reasonably, uh, reasonably easily. 100%. Yeah. I think too many people look at like the big goals. And, you know, it's been said a thousand times like the little goals add up to the big goals, 1% better every day. Everybody knows all the questions. Yeah, yeah. But it, it holds true in e commerce, too. Like getting from something simple from everyone might look at, okay, how do we go from, you know, 300 orders a month to 600 orders a month? But instead of looking at it like, hey, we need 300 more orders, how do we get 10 more orders a day? How do we digest that? And then it's super simple. Like it starts to like come out in the numbers. You're like, okay, we don't need to do these crazy things. We just need to slowly inch it up. And we still do that at the eight, nine figure level. It's the same thing of you know, small digestible goals. It might not be ten orders a day, it might be how do we get two hundred more orders a day, but with the traffic size, it's all relative. But that might still be, you know, for a massive brand, that might be how do we get one percent
0: more orders today? Or, the, or exactly. this week. Yeah. Exactly. When you you make it a, like, look at it from that percentage number, it becomes a lot easier because suddenly you think, well, actually, 1% increase in orders, that only requires a few little tweaks. Whereas, yeah, if you're trying to double, that's not something you're going to do particularly easily in in one go. Yep, 100%. Cool. Do you want to move to seven to eight or anything else on on six to seven? No, let's go to seven to eight. Yeah, cool. So, yeah, what gets a, a comfortable seven figure brand? who has now hit kind of product market fit up to the eight figures.
1: Okay. Okay, So here's my thought on this one. I think an important piece of this step is making sure your product experience is good enough for people to come back and for people to talk about it. Because you could play the acquisition game and you will as through this whole stage, but you need to remedy that with good retention increased lifetime value and word of mouth right like people have to love your product so now that the money you've spent is being sprayed across the network in the entire market because everybody is talking about how good that experience was and so all that starts to compound and work in your favor as you go and so i think that's an extremely product excuse me product experience is extremely important for this stage and then the other thing I think is finding scale and mass market scale through an acquisition channel. So making sure you have creative and a message that is going to pierce through a mass market and now go from, okay, we've, we're doing pretty well. you know We hit seven figures to how do we now get to 10 plus and make sure this becomes a mass market play day to c so by that, do you mean maybe moving away from some quite niche messaging? Or a lot of brands we bring on in an earlier stage, they don't even know their value props yet. Or in their ads or on their site, you get to the site and to them, they know what they're selling. But to cold traffic, they have no idea. So you have to spoon feed it to them. What are they going to get out of that product in that experience? And so trying to hone in on that, I think is what's going to allow you to go from the brand where you have the early adopters who just get it to the next stage where people now come to your site and they are convinced to buy in because your marketing or your messaging is that good. Yeah, I think uh, yeah on the kind of product activation side,
0: you know, there's so many brands who within days of you making an order, they're already hitting you with emails saying, you know, come back, place another order, or. You know, have you checked out these new products we've just launched and all this sort of stuff, and you've probably not even used the product yet or not had a chance to properly experience it. So not only does that have a bit of a negative experience on you anyway, but they're not putting any effort into helping you activate with the product and really understand it. I spoke to a brand called Air Up on here a while ago. It's it's like a scent-based flavoring for a water bottle. But I think they have their own water bottle. You have to use their water bottle for it because of the way it works. And what they realized was they have to get people to have that perfect first sip with the bottle. Because if they don't get that right, then they might still be able to educate that person. But that person's already had the negative experience, which makes them go, Is this really worth the effort? Like they, you know, they'll make those tweaks and suddenly they'll go, Oh, yeah, this does taste really good. But it seems like a lot of hassle. Right. So, they put loads of effort in the unboxing experience and the emails and everything into making sure people understand how to use the product properly. I don't think nearly
2: enough brands do that. Absolutely. That's, that's, a, that's an interesting product. I might have to look these guys. Up. Yeah. That's a, that's a cool one. It's pretty cool. So
0: I guess what about the... I mean, I know we've kind of touched on mistakes there as well, but are there any other mistakes? With, I guess like maybe do brands try and overstretch a bit You know, when they're hitting that million dollar mark and thinking, okay, this is good. We've got a good business here. You know, is that is there that temptation to suddenly start opening up way more channels and, and just overstretching the business?
2: Yeah, I think there's a lot of things that happen. This I think the seven figures is probably where people make the most mistakes. And because you've seen some type of success. So some people, including myself at one point, you know, you think you got it dialed in, you know the next steps to get you to like, you know, ten million, eight figures, whatever it may be and you know, you might launch too many SKUs. You try to go to too many acquisition channels. You try to sell everything on your store instead of just leaning into your best sellers. Yep. Things like that can absolutely kill you. Inventory is something you'll see at every single level from top to bottom mm-hmm. that people always make mistakes on. A lot of people make those mistakes at, at the seven figure level for sure because you think, like, how do we get more sales? Like, I mean, a hydro flask for example you're like hey how do we get more sales hydro flask didn't go release twenty five thousand new products and be like okay this is going to be what takes us to the next level no they might have did some colorways and things like that a little couple different sizes but they leaned into their best sellers they leaned into what was best that's what you have to lean into you dial in that messaging lean into what's best for the brand and continue to sell that product i mean you you surprisingly do not need that many people to be a $10 million company, like, comparatively to, you know, what we have here just in the US. Yeah. It, by
0: that, do you mean not just internally, but plus agency support, or, like, could you just run a $10 million business with a handful of people,
2: total? I could tell you right now, from first-hand experience, you could run a $10 million business with three <laughs> to four people. Uh, yeah. Like, it doesn't take... It, it doesn't take, it, it's a lot of work for sure. It's not like, Hey, you know, like, but the thing is, it doesn't have to be so complex. You don't need all these different platforms. You don't need all this software yet. I think there is software you need at that seven figure. But like, if we go to the eight to nine, I think that's where software really comes into play. But it's just kind of like we said, it's just leaning into those best sellers, focusing on the messaging of what's really working. And even on the customer side, you don't need that many people like comparatively to, you know, you need probably less than 1% of the US to buy your product to even to be a $10 million company, probably way less than that if I actually read the numbers.
0: Yeah. Do you think there's a bit of like, you know, people breach that $1 million mark and they think, okay, yeah, we've got something here. And then some of those next decisions around launching new products, hiring people, bringing agencies on downloading loads of apps and things for the website. Do you think it's kind of a bit of a, like we want people to think that we are, either think that we're at a higher level or we want to like associate ourselves with those bigger brands. And we do that by having a team, by, you know, being able to say we use XYZ apps and that sort of thing. When actually in actual fact, they don't need it. And it's probably not working for them.
2: Yeah, I 100% think that. I think a lot of brands try to just, just go too big too fast. This is that stage where it's like you should focus on profitability and grow slower a little bit until you really have it dialed in. Some people, you know, boom past this, and that's just, you know, that's probably because they do things right and do focus on those winners. But yeah, you don't need you don't need a big team. You don't need all these apps and everything like that. Like we said, I think this is still back to the same thing we said at six Burgers. It's just those little tweaks, styling things in. You You build a good foundation at the six-figure level, seven-figure level. And then to get to that eight is those little tiny tweaks, one thing at a time. Price testing is a big one. You can get an extra $10 with the same exact conversion rate for your product, but you've never price tested this. Like, What are you doing? You can also go the other way. You could go down 10 bucks and double or triple your conversion rate, but you've also never done it. And just that alone can take you to the eight-figure mark. It's just a lot of those things that I think people overlook and they think, okay, what's the next thing we should do? What's the next TikTok, XYZ, influencer programs, all this kind of stuff, instead of just being like, okay, just make what we're doing a little bit better.
0: Yeah. That's literally just what I was about to say. Yeah. Kind of work with what you've got, try and get a bit more out of what you've got rather than trying to expand and bring in new channels and do the fun new stuff. Is it anything that's kind of considered best practice stuff that you think maybe you don't need to do? This might be going back to the six, seven figure stage, you know, where everyone's saying this is the stuff you have to do to grow a business. But actually you're thinking, do you know what? You can get away with not worrying about this too much at that stage. But at the seven figure, this is where you do need to be. Yeah, I think that
1: you can get away with not focusing on other channels I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I think you need to make sure your site is on point. Your email marketing is set up. So you have campaigns and flows set up and you figure out meta. As of yeah. today, in the past 10 years, meta is what is the backbone of the majority, 90% plus D2C companies and how they've scaled. So. Figuring that out is everything. And if you haven't done that yet, I wouldn't even touch some of these other platforms. Now, if you're able to seed product out and do influencer marketing, great. For cheap, good, go for it. Depends on the product, right? But influencer yep. marketing isn't as scalable as it used to be. And it can be more costly. and You don't see a return as quickly. And another thing too is like figure out how to make content that converts. So organic socials are important have to have Instagram in your channels set up so you look legit, but I would think of it more like your storefront. It's not what is actually going to sell the product so much. It's a place for you to engage with fans and customers, but I wouldn't put a ton of emphasis on that because most of that content you'll post and it will live and it will die. And as beautiful it is, or as much time you put into a video or a narrative piece, no one is going to see it. And so that is an important thing that I think it can be very distracting because people think organic social first, that's just the world we live in, but you have to change your mindset and think paid in conversion first and direct response first. And that was one of my biggest learning lessons uh, in this space for sure. Yeah. Well, I think,
0: uh, yeah, I mean, you probably can grow organically, but you've just got to realize it's going to take you a lot longer. Right, And you've got to be really good at it. So if if you've still got to create the incredible content to do organic social, are you better off just putting that content into the paid side
1: and getting the results? It really depends on the product. The ones that I see grow organically usually have some sort of celebrity or influencer backing where they already have a mass network of marketing distribution, whether it's a YouTuber or... A celeb or somebody who just blows up from like a TV show, they're able to get away with that because they can leverage their audience, right? But if you don't have that, you're in a much tougher position, and you have you'll have to figure out one of these acquisition channels. And there's even with all the talk of TikTok and whatnot, I wouldn't look anywhere else but Meta right now. Just an the the- email women's beauty brand. That might be an exception to the rule, but. TikTok will still be very inconsistent and meta will will be consistent once you figure it out. Just on on the organic side, uh, yeah, I I agree with you. It's
0: like a, yeah, shop front. People don't really see the content. One thing we advise brands to do is just try and keep the page alive. So just make sure you do post. You know, if it's Instagram, just post once a day. Just put something up there. Obviously, make it reasonably decent, but get something out there. If you've got the ability to do stories... Just try and put something live like once a day so that when someone does land on that page to check you out, because people do, right? they go have a look at your Instagram page to see if you're legit. If they see a live story, if they see a post from today, if they see you're verified, those are all things that made them go, okay, this is a legit brand. I'm going to be happy purchasing from them.
1: What about eight to nine? What changes here? Yeah, I think eight to nine, of course, if you've already figured out the product experience piece in the word of mouth piece in the previous level, I guess we'll call it from yeah. seven to eight, from eight to nine, I think an omni-channel approach is extremely important where you're now looking for other channels for people to discover you, whether that be retail, whether that be brick and mortar, can you add another 30, $40 million of, of value to your business through wholesale, through brick and mortar, through retail, right? I know has been the playbook of most D2C companies, they get to a point where they now have to distribute elsewhere. You could get their D2C, but it gets really hard to do that fast. So I think retail and omni-channel approach is important. And then when it comes to marketing, I think looking at other channels with scale, such as TV, podcasts, influencer marketing, where you can go acquire a customer, maybe It's a little bit more expensive than Meta, but you're still bringing in new customers and you have a pretty good idea of what your LTV is at this point. So you're able to do that. You're able to spend a little bit more to acquire people and you find scale and new people top of funnel that way as well. And then lastly, I'll say that I think that making sure you're able to build a moat around your product so people are trying to recreate it and knock you off and that's a problem a lot of people have once they get to a certain size if you don't grow quietly there will be competition trying to take bits and pieces from your market share and so i think having that brand experience and that product where you can build a moat around what you're doing becomes extremely important yeah i mean the example that pops
0: to my head is it's true classic the t-shirt brands doing amazingly well. I think someone said they're on track to do about 300 million this year, just selling plain t-shirts. I used to see loads of ads for them on TikTok, really good ads, went through to their website. You get that same sort of experience on their website where they're just reinforcing all their messaging and again. And now, probably like nine months later from when I first came across them, I'm now getting ads for at least three or four other brands in that exact same space who probably don't have quite as good a message and marketing, but you can tell that they've seen the growth that True Classic has got and said, yeah, we want a bit of that.
1: Yeah, it's actually a really good example because they came along later than some of the other DTC t-shirt companies, some of whom still have a massive piece of that market. And they came along later and offered a shirt to a different customer who was not being spoken to. For a price point, in a bundle that also wasn't being offered. And they found something. I mean the scale's is yeah. insane, but they were able to speak to a customer that didn't feel like they were currently being spoken to and that ended up being a huge market. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Well any mistakes brands make it. well let's talk about actually let's talk about the omnichannel stuff a bit more, particularly like retail, Amazon. Let's just touch on that. If you got any I know it probably depends on the product a bit. But are there any that you'd kind of recommend a bit more than others? So there's some that's easier to, maybe, oh, to, to maybe get involved with? Amazon, eBay, retail partners. You know, do you feel like a, a pretty standard econ business? Let's use like skincare because you, you brought that up earlier. Yeah. I th- Actually, I don't know if skincare sell, sells well on Amazon to be fair. but
1: It certainly can. I think that Amazon is a marketplace That is also really good for discovery, where people are going there with intent, looking for a a new moisturizer or looking for a new body wash or something, a new supplement that's going to make them lift more at the gym. And so, I think for those yeah categories where people are going there to discover, it could bring a market that you're not currently seeing or able to acquire um, through paid channels because. For instance, a protein powder is a very competitive space. It's very hard to get pricing power. So it could be hard for you to spend a ton on paid channels if you're bootstrapped. But on Amazon, it could be a lot cheaper for you. It's more competitive because they're looking at all these other options. But if you do SEO right on Amazon, you advertise right on Amazon, and you have a really good product and you have good reviews, you could have a lot of success on there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yes, fair enough. Sorry, do you want to add anything on going from the eight to nine stage?
2: I think Blake kind of hit the nail on the head there. I think eight to nine is a lot of retail, a lot of wholesale stuff like that. Also, just having a very strong brand. I mean, if you look at most of the companies that have gone to that state, like best direct to consumer company of all time, in my opinion, Lululemon. Like they and they're still D 2 C. I feel like a lot of people say they're not, yeah. but like they own every retail store they're in. Like they don't, you can't go buy them at Nordstrom and stuff. Like that's direct to consumer. They own the entire pipeline from start to back. And I think their value, their market cap's like 46 billion right now or something. Like, <laughs> it's insane. It's insane. Billion. They're the best D C company of all time, in my opinion. And like, they still like, they're not on Amazon. They're not on a lot of stuff. Like it's just, they have a very strong brand, a very strong product. They know their product market fit and who they're advertising to. And, They've stuck by that. They also haven't gone like too far and too crazy with like their product releases and stuff. Like it's kind of stayed around the same type of stuff. Obviously, they've made a lot of expansion in their SKUs, but still like they're not doing crazy things over here to be at $46 billion. Like they're not a department store that's selling like everything. It's just, you know, they're still in their niche. They're still in their niche at the valuation they're at. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I suppose you're just talking about SKUs for a minute because it, it, it came up early in the conversation about brands who you know suddenly just add a load of SKUs to their to their inventory. I think around the seven seven figure mark. Obviously, I think for a lot of brands, it's useful to have you know m- maybe a handful of hero products and then maybe a handful of complementary products that make sense to buy with them, and you can use those to bump up AOV. At what point? Would you say, is it kind of the eight to nine figure mark that you're thinking, okay, maybe, maybe we can open up like this other category, which does make sense for us, but it is a new set of products.
2: I mean, I think if you have a really good business model out the gate or you've refined that business model, like one skew, you can be super successful. Athletic Greens is a great example of that. Okay. Our liquid death, liquid death has started to branch out more and more now, but their, I think their valuation was a billion recently when they raised around. But same thing they were just selling water for a long time and it was just water now they're starting to do like some teas and things like that but that athletic greens i think they now have two two maybe three skews but same thing they didn't do that out the gate they were well past nine figures when they started releasing everything else you know if yeah. you have especially the subscription model that they have for you know consumables and things like that if your retention is heavy uh, your returning customers are heavy. You could do it with one SKU. I would prefer to do it with one SKU. To be honest, it's, it's real hard to mess up inventory. Yeah, it's real tough to mess up inventory when you have one SKU only. So, I mean, if you can do it, but the big thing with that is, like we said, it's either you have to be very first purchase profitable with one SKU, meaning like a great AOV, or you have to have very high retention or some type of subscription model. Yeah, if you have either of those, you can keep the SKUs light. You don't need to go too high. Yeah. I suppose with something like Athletic
0: Greens, there's the risk with a product like that that you cause confusion if you do have a second or maybe third skew that is going to sit alongside it and then people have got to go, well, which one is it for me? And why is that the case? So by just sticking with one and saying, this is who it's for, this is what it does, it's kind of a yes or no instead of a, Maybe this one, maybe that one, or no.
2: Yeah. I mean, they also like Athletic Greens, for example, is promised like, oh, yeah, it's better overall health. It makes you feel better, recover better. Like, what do you, if you release something on the side of it, it's like, also, you can recover better if you take this too. You're like, well, what the hell? I thought that one was making me recover. Yeah. Now I got to take a second one to recover better. Like, it doesn't make sense. They'd have to do a completely different vertical, like sleep or something I- along those type of lines.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, was I'm seeing a lot of brands in that sort of space that release something for that's designed to be taken at a different time of the day. So it'll be, you know, take your athletic greens at breakfast or lunch or whatever you take it, but take this one at night because, I don't know, it could be it helps you recover better at night, you know, you get the most of that, or it could just be all-around sleep. Like, this will make sure you get, like, really good sleep while also giving you some of those other benefits. But, yeah, if they came out with something else that was like, oh, this is really great for recovery because it reduces inflammation or something, you might be thinking, well, was that product not doing it? And I suppose if you're getting what you need from that product, it's really hard to switch you across to something or, or add on something that's quite similar. Whereas the sleep thing, at least you're positioning it as a different product. Cool. A- anything else you want to add on the moving from eight to nine? Good on my side. Yeah. Cool. Just before we finish up, then, if you've got, could you, if you could pick the brains of anyone in the
1: e commerce space, who would it be? Fantastic question. If I could sit at a dinner table with e commerce type of people, one, even though it's not e commerce, but it's tech, I'd have to put Elon Musk at that table. I think he's the smartest (laughs) man in the world and he started PayPal and now is running. One of the biggest social media platforms in the world. And so I think that is related enough to put him at the table. I would have to say the founder of Revolve, okay. because I think they are also one of the best D2C success stories. And I'd be interested to pick his brain. And I would have to say, The rest of the table, I'd put some of my best friends. Jake, the founder of Movement, who's one of the best and brightest people who's done it in this space. Nick and Nick, the founders of Truff, who are brilliant in crushing it in their business. And uh, Stephen Borelli, the founder of Cuts, who also is just a straight savage. (laughs) And uh, whenever I talk with them, I feel like I'm smarter when I walk away from those conversations. So that would be my dinner table. Yeah. Sweet. Sorry. Yeah. I think Blake's kind of, he's
2: to a good one. I think what's surprising is the people I used to look at when I first started, Blake obviously started in 2013 long before I did, five, six years before me. A lot of these people we envied and stuff like that, I still am impressed by them, but we've already reached out to them. We've already spoke to them and tried. And that's one thing that I would recommend people do along the way is those people you do look up to and want to have at your dinner table, hit them up. Like Jay Cassen's is a great example Founder of movement, I used to look up to him so much. Had some great conversations with him. Stephen Borelli, same thing. Absolute animal. But if I had to go outside of our friend group, outside of the people who you know we've spoken to, I think it's Greg Fass or Greg Foss, who is the VP of marketing of Liquid Death. You know, me living on the marketing side. The data is one thing that I'm very good at understanding. I would say like I'm up there with some of the best, but what he's done is not data driven. Maybe it is to an extent that I don't understand, but the way that he's positioned Liquid Death and like the actual marketing of Liquid Death and knowing like to play off the virality of things, it's yeah. just such a cool thing that he's done. I'm very impressed with that team across the board. Athletic Greens, I get a little bit. So it's like the, I'm still impressed by their marketing, but Liquid Death is just. I think it's some of the best marketing that's ever been released in a direct-to-consumer company, or also Dr. Squatch. I know they've done a fantastic job. Yeah. Dollar Shave Club's done a fantastic job. And I think it was the Raindrop Agency who did a lot of their stuff in the beginning. Super high-end agency. Yeah. So yeah, all those guys, super impressed. The marketing teams is where I'd
1: want to live and continue to understand. I'm going to throw in two more, just because I think these are also good brands (laughs) for research. But I think Gymshark is up there i've met both ben and noel and they're super bright and they are one of those outliers that grew off pretty organic community and influencer marketing they harnessed the online fitness community at the dawn of it and became the brand of that community which ended up like fresh fresh clean teas ended up being one of the biggest sorry one of the biggest communities you could get behind, right? So I think Jim Shark's up there and then ASRV as well. Who I have I know people on the team, but I've never met the founder, JB. So they are doing some incredible things and he's super creative and brilliant with how he's built that business. So I'd like to meet him one day as well. Sweet. Yeah, all sound good. Finally,
2: just before we finish up, if you got one final piece of advice for brands, Yeah, I'd say never stop learning. That's probably the biggest thing. Yeah, I know it's like cliche and stuff like that, but even the eight, nine figure guys are always still reaching out to other people, always asking questions, always trying to figure out, like even if you're looking at another nine figure brand who's done it, they're asking questions of like, hey, how? what have you guys done? Because you're always missing those pieces. It's really hard to try to figure out everything by yourself, surrounding yourself with a good team, Uh, surrounding yourself with you know good mentors and acquaintances and things like that that you can reach out to everyone comes into trouble at some point even like at the six figure seven figure every level you get yourself into trouble you feel like your business is about to end and you're like we're going to go bankrupt this at the end of it we've all felt that pressure and one of the easiest ways to get out of that pressure is speaking to someone because they're going to also tell you like oh yeah we've been there we've done that this is what we did this is how you should try to look at things or they can help you diagnose things. I would just say, continue to learn, continue to ask questions. That's what takes you to that next level and will continue to take you to the next level.
0: Yeah. I mean, My experience with that is generally people are happy to talk. Mm-hmm. right? unless, I mean, unless maybe you're a tiny brand that is doing nothing, you know, you're going to struggle to reach out to someone who's at a nine figure brand. But generally, yeah, if you speak to someone who's, a level or a bit above you that or reach out to them, they're generally happy to chat, happy to give some advice. You know, I've had that on the agency side. I know people DTC who have done that as well. Yeah. Even in like the same category.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'd have to say, first and foremost, get really good at reverse engineering. You know, we, when we were in the early days of movement, we were using plugins to see what tech and what apps people were using on their site. Or what platforms they were advertising on, right? And so being super diligent with how the people who have done it before you have done it and figuring that out. And then also being extremely data-driven. So when you test something, learn from it. Don't keep making the same mistakes. Yeah. Read the data. Don't be emotional about where the brand is going or who's buying the product. Be honest and logical about it otherwise you could end up in a bad spot or certainly steer the ship the wrong way yeah yeah i think another great point yeah like it's keep
0: learning isn't it you know when you run a test run some ads or something regardless of how it goes you know kind of reflect on it a bit and, and figure out what what actually happened
1: awesome stuff what's the best way of reaching out to you if anyone wants to get in touch Yeah, you could find us both on Instagram or Twitter. Maybe you could put our links or handles in the show notes. Yep. Yeah, I think that's the best way, or you could go to our site, dreamlabsagency.com, and fill out the contact form if you wanted to connect. Sweet. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you for the time, Will. Thanks, Will. As we
0: wrap up this episode, here are a couple of golden nuggets to remember as you scale your brand. First, always ensure you have a solid foundation. Growth without stability can quickly spiral out of control. It's like analytics. If it's not set up right, it's a potential minefield. Next, while it can be tempting to open up new channels and expand the product lines, it's essential to stay grounded and focus on what is working. It's perfectly possible to scale a business on Meta alone with just a handful of products, so don't be tempted to stretch yourself too early. To continue the conversation or deep dive into the expertise of Blake and Tori, seek them out on LinkedIn. For podcast-related inquiries, thoughts, or guest suggestions, shoot an email to Will at customershoclick.com or hit me up on LinkedIn. Coming up, David Perry is going to educate us on the new way to do dropshipping. But until then, keep those customers clicking.